Good. Everybody feeling welcome? Good. Good. Uh, I appreciate you looking at me going, hang on a minute, this guy's not been around here very long. What's he doing at the front? I will explain, I promise. Um, I'll move this out of the way. But just so you can know who we are, who I am, and uh, why, why we're with you, my name is Richie. And the beautiful lady over at the back there is my wife, Raina. Um, and we've been coming to King's. Uh, since uh, November last year, so a little while now, and uh, we are joining you as a church, which is great. We would have come into membership a few weeks ago, but it's been uh, pushed on a few weeks um, because we had a visiting speaker, but we're here. We're so glad to be here. It's good to be with you, and uh, you also may be wondering why it is I'm up here preaching as well today, um, which is an absolute privilege, Uh, so I'll share a little bit about us and you can get some faces and know some names, and it will make a bit more sense to you. Um, maybe if I move to the side so you can see, because I appreciate I'm very tall, so I block everything out. You may notice that I stand on the end of an aisle. Have you ever noticed that? So that everybody gets a chance to see. Um, but a little bit about us. I, uh, I've been in church leadership for uh, over 10 years now, um, and uh, we went and planted a church down on the Isle of Wight, uh, quite a number of years ago, and we led the church there for five years, which was an incredible experience and a joy, and something that we have very, very great memories and great friendships because of, and we, uh, we, we sold everything we had, our businesses, our house, we moved lock, stock, and all the barrels down to the Isle of Wight because we believe God had called us, and we went there to lead the church, and we, we got going, and we set a great church up, and then during our time leading the church there, God spoke again. Has anyone had to experience that? When God interrupts what you think is the plan. And so God spoke and interrupted and stepped into the plan and said, actually, I'm calling you on again. And it was a really difficult time for us because I genuinely thought, this is it. This is what God's called us to do. And we heard God, and I knew that I'd heard God so, so clearly one day. And it was to come back to London to lead a church in South London. And so we came back and followed God's call to do that. And we led a church in South London for the next near enough five years. Um, But during our time leading the church uh, in South London, it was very, very difficult and incredibly painful towards the end. And it became a very tough time for us um, and the whole church. And in the end, it culminated in me taking the decision to say, enough's enough. I'm going to step down and no longer lead this church. And it was an incredibly painful and difficult time. And there's uh, been an awful lot for us to process and deal with and get over Um, But we have been, by the grace of God. And that's how we come to be here with you guys. We just needed a safe space to be, to heal, to be able to learn what God wanted to teach us, but also to be in a safe place to serve and still be amongst believers and to do the sharpening of one another that is necessary within fellowship. And that's what we found here. And so for you guys who've given us such an incredible and very, very warm welcome, I want to say a massive thank you. Let me tell you, you do a really good job of making people feel welcome. I've been to many churches where that's not the case. They're in cliques. You guys do that really well. Keep excelling in that grace because it's on you. And as well, I want to say a special thank you to the elders of this church who've been absolutely incredible to us and for us and with us. They have loved us and said, just come and be. There's no expectations. Just come and let God do what he wants to do in you. And so I want to say a massive thank you to Quincy and the team because... We know you love us, we know you're for us, and we know we all want to see the kingdom of God advance. Amen? Amen. So that's 
a little bit of who I am, who we are, where we are. But do you want to see some photos? Put some names. All right, well, who's this? Okay, so this is our eldest son, Jack, his wife, Leah, and their three boys. They decided that they were going to elope and move to Seattle. So they live in Seattle and have done for over three years now. Um, his wife's half American. She stole our son from us. No, she didn't. They, they went to make a better life in America, and they're doing great, and it's incredible. And uh, they get a lot of snow, which is good fun for them. The next photo is of our next daughter there in the mustard dress and her family. You might notice twin girls in the mix um, as well. So that's our next daughter down and her family. She still lives close by. Hey, that's wonderful. And the next one, I know we're a big family. You're going to get to grips with that. So like Christmas is epic. Okay, this is our son Ben, his wife, and their two girls on Poles F Beach, if you recognize it. It's a very nice beach. And they live near us as well, which is very, very nice. They didn't move away. And the last one is, this is our daughter Maisie and her boyfriend. Um, so he's getting a first showing on a, on a screen. Ooh, will he make it through to Christmas? Let's see. Um, so that's Maisie and her boyfriend Ollie. It'd be funny if they listened back to this recording, wouldn't it? Okay. But then the most recent addition to the family, just 90 months ago, this hairy, hairy baby joined our family. Very hairy. Very, very hairy. Oh, I mean hairy puppy. A hairy puppy called Bodhi. He is our dog in our house. And if you come for some grub, he will greet you quite vigorously and warmly um, because he loves to make everyone feel welcome. But that's who we are. That's a little bit about our family. That's enough of that. We're here to be in the Word of God, aren't we? So we're carrying on our series of Transform Living. We're in Ephesians chapter 4. Hopefully you've been following along with the book day to day. Who's been finding that helpful? Yeah, it's good. I think we're up to about page 80 already. We've done quite well. We're striding on. We're going to be looking at quite a number of verses. I want to you know, thank Quincy equally with um, just look at him with a little bit of frustration for giving me these verses because he gave me a humdinger. But praise God, God spoke in the worship, Naomi brought that word to us, and it's going to make so much sense, because a key word was used, and the word was purity, and that's where we're going to be. So please smile, be gracious as we look at some tough verses, but we allow the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do in us. So who here, show of hands, likes gardening? Are there keen gardeners amongst us? Okay. Who here is one of those sort of what I would call a more fair weather gardener? You'll mow the grass, but you can't be bothered with the weeds. Yeah, that's me. My grass looks great, my beds look terrible, okay? Well, that's going to be a bit of an image for us this morning as we look at what God wants to do in our lives, because we might like planting things in our garden, gives us a sense of reward, we might like maintaining a little bit, but doing some of the hard graft and the hard work, like weeding, is not all that glamorous. It's exhausting and it's hard work. Most people don't like it, especially when it comes to pulling out brambles, dandelions, or anything like that that takes deep roots into the ground. And it can be tempting to just tug on it and go, oh, it's pretty much out. But actually, the truth of the matter is, if you don't go down deep enough, you don't get the root, that thing will be back within weeks, especially at this time of the year. We need to go deep down to get the root out to make sure it doesn't return. And stick that and log that in your mind, that that's something that we need to apply as a spiritual principle as we follow through our text today. We love the results, don't we, of a good, colourful, fruitful, well-ordered, weed-free garden, but oftentimes we don't necessarily want to go to all the hard work that it takes to get there. And here's a tip that I've never followed through on in my life from someone who likes gardening. If you just do half an hour a day, Rich, it will always look great. Who has half an hour a day for gardening, I say. But let's follow this through. 
If we're going to actually tend to our spiritual lives, we need to have three key principles, and they will appear on the screen behind me, and you can take photographs. Unfortunately, I'll be in them. The three things are this. We need to have intentionality. Say intentionality. We need to have proactivity. And we need to do hard work. Okay, you've got the three things. Those are our three things. And it's never more evident than in our spiritual lives, our walk with the Lord. It's less obvious, it's less visible, it's internal, it's at the core of who we are. If we sow things of the Spirit rather than things of the flesh, we will see a good harvest. That is a principle that you could write over everything that the Apostle Paul teaches. And here in our text today, Paul emphasizes that it's going to take some effort, intentionality, this ongoing choice to say no to sin and yes to the work of the Spirit so that we can live up to this high calling that we have in Christ Jesus. So let's pay particular attention to what he says right at the beginning, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. We're going to see something almost repeated from what he's just said several verses earlier. It says this, so I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. So he's using this word, insist. Quincy brought it to us week one, saying, I urge you. Do you remember that? Right at the beginning of Ephesians 4, I urge you guys. And now he's saying, and I insist. He's really trying to hammer home a point to us so that we actually grab hold of how important this is as believers in Jesus. Insist that you don't live as the Gentiles do. And what Paul goes on to do is he goes on to say, here's why, guys. He's going to remind us of our new identity in Christ as a result of what God has done for us. That's what we've been seeing, haven't we, week after week. And I'm going to repeat the same phrase so that it comes home. Because of what God has done, now live like this. That's the principle of this series. It's something God has done to us so we live differently. And the first thing you need to know, if you're ever going to live this Christian life, is you need to know that you are new. He goes back to our early conversion experience. And as he's speaking to the Ephesians, he goes back to their early experience. And this is what he says in verses 20 and 21. That, however, is not the way of life that you learned when you heard about Christ. And you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. And then in the next three verses, this will be a large part of the focus of what we're saying today. You were taught, it says, verses 22 to 24, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul's using this image of two garments, and that kind of explains my point over here. For an illustrative point, I don't even know if this is going to fit. But this, physically, in many respects, does not fit, represents my old way of life. It's dirty, it's tatty, and it doesn't fit. It's an old way of life. And the trouble is, is when I return to my sin, I return to this old way of life, something that no longer fits with who I am because I've been made new. And if you're anything like me, you can quite frequently, if you don't keep a careful watch over yourself, return to your old coat. And God says, actually, no. 
Don't do that. Don't return to the old way of being. Paul's saying, I insist that you choose to live in this new way. Choose to live as the new creation. Choose to put on the new ways of righteousness. Now, that's a bit better, isn't it? He's using the image of two garments. That's the former way of life. This is the new way of life in Christ Jesus. He's reminding the Christians in and around Ephesus, and he's reminding us today of how, because of what Christ has done, we can live free. We can put off the old self. It's an outward illustration of an inward glory. Amen? The new self is amazing. It is completely different from the old self. It's no longer deceitful, sinful, selfish, corrupt, dirty, but now created to be like God in his perfect righteousness and holiness. We have been remade in the image of God. Hallelujah. God did it. I'm different. You're different. Do you know you've been saved from the penalty of sin if you're a born-again believer today? We've been justified through our faith in Christ Jesus. We've been declared righteous because of what he has done. All of that happened at the moment of salvation. God did it. Something has happened to us that will cause you and I to live differently forevermore if we choose to walk with the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 2. It's, I love the fact that there's the Transform Life series before the Transform Living because you get all these incredible verses and they're brilliant to preach into and then you get into the nitty-gritty of living it out where we are today. But in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul talks about us being dead in our transgressions and sin, but because of God, he's made us alive with Christ. I'm paraphrasing about 10 verses there. That's what it says. Then there's our side of conversion, because there is. God causes something to happen to you, but then you choose to respond to what God has done in you. You choose to say, I believe, and by faith, I receive you, Jesus, and here's the key and crux to the Christian faith. I receive you as Savior, but I also receive you as Lord. Lots of people are looking for a Savior, a get-out-of-hell free card, if you will. I just want to escape the punishment. But the nitty-gritty of the Christian life is receiving Jesus as Lord and saying, now I'm going to do the hard yards to walk with you. I'm going to choose to walk away from that coat every single time it tries to get back on me. Every time it's a wrong thought, wrong action, wrong desire, I'm going to choose you, Jesus. And when I mess up, I'm going to come back and say, I'm sorry, God, help me again. Strengthen me again. Something has happened to us, and now we choose as a result of that to want to walk with the Holy Spirit. And it's really important that we grasp this. You cannot live a Christian life unless you are born again. Nobody has ever in the history of the world managed to live a holy life unless they have been made righteous and holy because of Jesus' perfect and finished work in their life. It's impossible. My good behavior is not enough. Jesus is the only one who's good enough. So the first thing we need to know, and I hope you guys know it, and if you don't today, I'm going to tell you it again and again, know that you are new. If you're not new, you can be new this morning. This very morning, you can be made new. You can be made right with God through Christ Jesus if you'll receive him as Lord and Savior. 
A transformed life is a one-off experience of divine grace at our conversion when we receive this new life. And transformed living now is concerned with how we work that out. The process has a Christian theological term called sanctification. It's essentially this ongoing work of the Spirit in our lives causing us to become more and more like Jesus and less and less like the world and the flesh. So you need to know that you are new if you're ever going to live new. And then you choose to live like you're new. Let's keep pushing on with our verses. Ephesians 4 verse 23 says this, Be made new in the attitude of your minds. Paul's repeating essentially a statement that he made in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, where he says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, perfect, and pleasing will. Be transformed in the renewing of your mind. It's an ongoing thing. It's not a one-off occurrence. It's an ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I'm not standing here at any point today saying, I've got this all sewn up, so listen up. I'm saying, I'm doing this journey in exactly the same way you guys are. At the moment you were saved, you were sealed with Christ, and you were empowered with his Holy Spirit. Amen? And you and I have been given the Holy Spirit so that we can live this life. He is empowering us, fortifying us, Terry Virgo would say. I used to love that. The Holy Spirit, the fortifier in you. Connecting us to God the Father and the Son in a way that is utterly impossible outside of salvation. But the Holy Spirit lives in us now as new believers and we can choose to either commune with him in deep intimacy or we can choose to ignore his work and resist his work and we can return to the old ways and we can put on the old coat. And what we do when we do that is we extinguish the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I'm getting a bit warm in this coat. We're born again by the Spirit of God. But every day we get to choose. We've been made new, hallelujah, but we choose to walk this new life. This renewing of our mind has the goal of what God has done in us coming to fruition, affecting every area of our lives and every aspect of our lifestyle. Do you believe that? If I'm completely new, then everything about my life becomes completely new. My attitudes and my lifestyle becomes new. I no longer do the former things that were displeasing to God, but I choose to do things that are. I'm in the world, but I'm no longer of it. It's on the basis of what God has done. Hallelujah. So Paul starts Ephesians 4 with that word, and Quincy taught us, if there's a therefore, you need to ask what it's there for. He started with therefore, and he goes on to list five ways in which we're to live. Now, I'm going to warn you, so far, we've been on a highway. If we're taking a journey, this has been a nice motorway surface. It's about to get bumpy. We're off-roading here. So strap in, but please, let's let the Holy Spirit speak to us. God, I want to hear you. Because I want to live right with you. Amen? Because Paul's about to hit us with some hard truths. The first one he says in Ephesians 4.25 is, Don't lie, speak the truth. This is what the verse says. Therefore, each of you must put off, there's that imagery again, falsehood, and speak truthfully to your neighbor. 
for we are members of one body. If you remember last week, Dale was speaking to us about the importance of unity in the body, the church, the believers. Now, we all know if you've been in church long enough that if it wasn't for the church, a lot of us wouldn't be friends and we wouldn't hang out. Our lives wouldn't cross over, right? We're all from so many different walks of life, so many different upbringings, so many different educational backgrounds. We could not be more different. And God says, come together because this is my brilliant idea for how we're going to reveal to the world the goodness of God in and amongst his people. And this is what God does in us. He pulls us together and says, now work this stuff out together. And in a church, if you've ever been in a church long enough, you'll realize that some people really rub you up the wrong way. Some people are just so difficult. And God says, don't lie, speak the truth. And he's going to go on to say some other things. Now you're in this fellowship, here's how you work out this new Christian way of life. So we've got to ask the question, why does Paul start with falsehood? What's he saying? He's saying because falsehood and lying are deception and part of the old self. They're part of the kingdom of the devil, he would go on to explain in other parts of his letters. He says, don't become like the one who is the deceiver and the father of all lies. Lying is so damaging to a body of believers. Whereas you're now part of a new kingdom, we've become a new person, we follow Jesus, who is the truth. We have the spirit of truth within us. And so we now need to choose to speak the truth. And that's not always easy. The motivation for doing this is an interesting one because he goes back to that theme of unity in the body. We're, one, we're all members of a body and we need to tell truth in our relationships. And that can be costly sometimes. And you've got to ask yourself this question. Why do my lies affect you guys? So you don't know where I was at all on any day this week other than my wife. You don't know who I spoke to, what I said, whether in phone, text or conversation. You don't know if I told a lie or told the truth, whether anything was costly to me or not, correct? But let me tell you, how I behaved this week reflected on every one of you. It did. Because if I say that I'm a born-again Christian, that I'm beloved by Jesus, and I turn around and I lie to my customer, I could have done that this week, they're going to go, but hang on a minute, you're a Christian and you go to King's Church Oxford, because last week you were trying to share with me a little bit about your life and about this faith you've got. And now you've told a lie and I've caught you in the lie. All those Christians can't really be the real deal and I don't think much of that church. Did you follow that train of thought through? So what I chose to do this week had a positive or negative effect on you guys and on the witness of Jesus Christ in the community. You see that? And Paul has started by saying, I insist that we take this stuff seriously. He's quoting from the Old Testament when he says in verses 26 and 27, uh, sorry, I'm moving on now, do not sin in your anger. This is what he goes on to say. So don't lie, and now he's moving on to don't sin in your anger. In your anger, do not sin, and do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He's progressing his argument here for why we're to live like this. He's quoted directly, don't get angry and sin because of it. But God's not saying, and this scripture's not saying, and Paul would not say to us, it's wrong for you to get angry. Because there is such a thing as righteous anger, because God gets righteously angry. We read that through scripture. There are injustices in the world that we should feel absolutely angry about. But in that anger, it's to be tempered, controlled, and never into the arena of sinning, judging, criticism. And it's such a fine line to walk. Who finds that difficult? Yeah, it, yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Very, very hard. 
But Paul's saying, this is the new way of life. And I've given you the Holy Spirit so that you can live this life. I'd hate it if any of us walked out of here today going, well, that was overwhelming. I can't do anything about that. God, the Holy Spirit says, come on, we'll do this together. You won't get it all right, but let's do this together. The warning here is that if we allow anger to fester, it will harm us. That's what anger does. Because what anger does is when it starts to put roots down, like a bramble or like a dandelion, is it goes deep. And when anger is in there long enough, it turns into bitterness. And the bitter root is so hard to take out. I find it quite hilarious that there's a church in Montana in the States. A friend of mine leads it, and it's in a place called the Bitter Root. The irony, the gospel in a place called the Bitter Root. This is so serious that we don't allow anger to turn into sin in our lives or please God, never let it be that bitterness goes down deep. Unresolved anger can give the devil a landing strip into your life, into your relationships, into your friendships, into your marriage, into your church relationships and it is so devastating. When we let anger go unresolved, it quickly becomes bitterness and that root, as I've said, goes down deep. Let's be a people who say, I'm going to work at this. I'm going to make sure that I don't step over into that anger becoming sinful and damaging to me or those around me because I have a responsibility to those around me. I'm going to work hard at this. And Paul carries on. We've done two. We've got three to go. You doing okay? He says, don't steal, but work to give. This is what verse 28 says. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. So basically he's saying, pack it in. But you must work, doing something useful with your own hands that you may have something to share with others. That is such an interesting way to turn that principle around. Work so that you've got something to give. Who here has seen the theatre show Les Miserables? Yeah? That's three hours of my life I'll never get back. No. Um, <laughs> Prince... <laughs> Spoiler alert, okay, if you're going to see it, cover your ears, but here's basically the principle of the story. Main character, Jean Valjean, spent 19 years in prison for stealing, goes on parole, and what does he do? Steals again. This time he steals from a kind bishop, and the bishop forgives him. In fact, what the bishop does is he forgives him, and then he gives to him. Wow, how countercultural totally transformed by the extraordinary act of grace from the bishop, Valjean leaves behind his way of stealing, his former way of life, and he starts to work hard, builds a business, makes money, and uses his wealth to help others. What a turnaround. Sounds an awful lot like the gospel at work in a life, doesn't it? As well as it being an inspiring story, it's a great way of illustrating what Paul is trying to say to us here. He's saying, if you steal, stop it. Now, I don't want anyone to think that I'm above this, okay? Because stealing can take many forms. I remember when I was a young man, I'd go into a sweet shop, and if the shopkeeper wasn't watching, I might have an extra one of the penny sweets. Thank you very much. But it's only a penny sweet. It's hardly going to notice it. Stealing is stealing. And it might not be that you're into house burglary, yeah? Bank jobs? Let's hope not. You can come to the front if you are. <laughs> Jesus is here. <laughs> but maybe it's cash in hand jobs. Maybe it's pushing on a little bit of finance into another quarter. 
Maybe it's the marginal gains. It's only a white lie. It's only stealing a bit. Is it really stealing? If you start to have to bring in your own flesh as the moral guide for this, you're probably somewhere you shouldn't be. And let me tell you, these are hard things. If you run your own business, these are hard things because the temptation is there. I'm not standing here saying, I'm perfect, I'm perfect, you've got it wrong if this is you. No, this is hard for everybody. It just takes different forms. Don't steal, says Paul. Why? Because God has made you new. Don't go back to the old. He says, now if you're able to work, and there are reasons why we can't, disability, raising children, that's a full-time job that nobody pays you for, by the way. These things are real. He's saying, but if you can work, you should work. Why is it that you have something so you can give something? So this week, when you go to work and you're sat at your desk on Monday morning and your boss is being a bit mean and you've got a long week ahead of you, sit there and go, praise God for this job because at the end of the month, I'm going to have a little something and I'm going to give a little something to someone. Why not? Let's take the attitude. I've got this opportunity so that I can bless someone else. Because selfishness is something that belongs in the old way of life. The next thing he goes on to say is, don't speak evil, but speak what is good. Verses 29 and 30, do not let any, say any, unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is helpful for building others up and according to their needs, that it may also benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, many years ago in our marriage, we made an effort on this one to not be judgmental or critical or say things that were unhelpful. And let me tell you, we have had varying degrees of success and failure. And I'll give you an illustration from this week. I came home from work and I went into the kitchen. I said, darling, how was your day? And she said something that was not uplifting or building up those who were listening. But you know what was really good is we put this principle in place a long time ago. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. That was unhelpful. So my wife, immediately, the words came out saying it wasn't a very good day, but responded by saying, but actually, no, I shouldn't have said that. That wasn't helpful. I'm sorry. Because actually, the reality was it wasn't that bad of a day. It just got a bit rubbish towards the end. It's like that song at the moment, isn't it? It's not a bad life. It's just a bad day. Yeah, you heard that one on the radio? Let's put it into context. But actually, grabbing hold of your words... It's really important. Because if nobody else is in your orbit listening, the Holy Spirit is. And if we want to grieve the Holy Spirit, well, let's let unwholesome talk come out of our mouths. So when I'm in the car on my own and someone cuts me up, and I let them know in no uncertain terms that I don't think very much of their driving in a loud, boomy voice, the Holy Spirit's listening if no one else is. And I need to grab hold of those, hopefully before they come out, And if they come out, I need to say, sorry, that was unhelpful. And I've said it before now on building sites, when I've said things that I shouldn't have done. If you don't know, I'm a practical guy. I've worked on building sites a lot in my life. I've turned around and I've said those words. I'm really sorry, I shouldn't have said that. That wasn't helpful. And you know what? People don't know what to do when you do that. They look at you like, you didn't say anything bad. I was like, but I felt it here. Because I want to walk with the Holy Spirit. It's interesting that the subject of our words is repeated here in verse 25. 
Jesus said, didn't he, in Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander, a word, words, words. Out of the heart. So there's something in there that makes its way out in some sort of practical form. And so we need to tend to the heart. We need to look at the heart. We need to make sure that we're keeping a check of ourselves, that we're not returning to the old way of life, that we're renewing the mind because the mind informs the heart and the emotions. And we're making sure that we're walking in step with the spirits. Because if you feed your heart and you feed your mind on things that are corrupting, don't be surprised then what comes out of you is decaying. True? If you put rotten things in, rotten things come out. And so the effort of the Christian life is to say, I'm going to do my very best to put in good things. I'm going to make sure as much as I can, I'm going to read my word. I'm going to listen to good things. I'm going to read good things. I'm going to be around good things. It's not saying I'm going to shut myself off in a commune away from the world. It's saying that I'm going to be in the world, but I'm going to make sure that I do everything to tend to the garden of my heart and my mind. So that Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, can do his inner work. And that actually we're in the world, but not of it. And Paul says, the reason you need to keep a watch over your tongue is for the benefit of others. Because what I say and what you say is a witness. Everybody in this room is a witness. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, in your thoughts, your attitudes, and your deeds. And it feels overwhelming, doesn't it? Do you feel overwhelmed by that? Can't I just be at work and just be me for five minutes? The world is watching on. In each of these moments is an opportunity for the gospel truth to reach into someone's life. It's an incredible privilege. It's been said, hasn't it, and you've probably heard this before, that encouragement is like verbal sunshine. Have you heard that before? I love being around people that encourage me. Because you've all got those draining people, haven't you? Come in and negative about everything. Oh, this is terrible, that's terrible. You daren't ask, how was your weekend? <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not going down that end of the office. No. <laughs> And then you get that person who just lifts you up and you're like, do you know, I'd love to spend more time. Can we just hang out all the time because you do me good? And I want to be like that and I am a work in progress. <laughs> Thank you, my love. Working on my sanctification. It's really challenging, isn't it? This way of life is challenging. But it is crucial to our witness and the benefit of one another. He goes on, we're getting towards the back end now. Do not be bitter or angry, but be kind, compassionate, and forgiving. Get rid of all bitterness, he says, rage and anger, brawling, hopefully nobody's brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as Christ in God did. Essentially saying this, get rid of those bad attitudes, those bad actions, and those bad words, and put on the new characteristics of kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. Uproot the weeds of bitterness, because it will end in forgiveness. Hallelujah. One of the highest and most critical parts of the Christian life is forgiveness. It's so hard to do. Who here finds forgiveness hard? I come from a family, right, growing up, non-Christian family, where how we handled forgiveness was we didn't speak to each other for three days and then we pretended as if it didn't happen. That was, that was how we resolved issues. 
Or my brother and I just fight out and I was the bigger one, so I'd beat him up and that'd be the end of that. That's how we dealt with it. There wasn't this, I'm genuinely sorry, I shouldn't have done that, I was wrong. So as a young adult, I had to learn how to forgive because it didn't come naturally. It was a way of putting on something new to me that I hadn't seen modeled. And every day, I still have to choose that way of life. I choose to forgive. Because if you don't know this, forgiveness often isn't a one-off occurrence if you've been really wronged. Yeah? Anyone testify to that? If you've been really deeply hurt and wounded, I can forgive you today, and the devil will come back to me and go, yeah, but they did that. Do you remember? There's been no justice. And I have to turn around and say, pipe down, devil. I choose to forgive again. Why? Because I don't want bitterness in my life and because it affects my witness in the world. It is so countercultural to live in a world where we forgive. I think famously in the last couple of weeks, um, oh, what's her name? Famous TV presenter lady, Davina McCall. She turned around and said, I am living in this world terrified because we've lost the art of forgiveness. We live in a cancel culture. And someone can dig back through your past 20 years, pull up one thing you did wrong, and cancel you overnight. Church, let's be a people who model something so different. Where we forgive one another. Where we keep short accounts. Because it is the loving way of Christ. It is hard to do. These are hard yards. But remember, Christ forgave you. Everything you've done, everything you will do. And let me tell you, we are all really, really wrong before a holy God. But God, being rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Yeah? It's also the basis for which we can be forgiven. So this new Christian life isn't all about me. It's not just about me and God. It's not just about me going to God and saying, God, I've messed up. Will you forgive me? It's about me going to those I've wronged and saying, I wronged you. Would you forgive me? Much harder, isn't it? But in those moments, the Holy Spirit comes and he does something totally supernatural. And the Spirit breaks out. And so it's so helpful that this sermon title that I was given was called Purity. Naomi's word this morning talked about purity. Talked about God doing this work. Standing under the burners of a jet is not particularly pleasant from the sounds of it. But if it's holy, if it's God doing it, Will we allow him? So let's draw to a close by returning to our illustration of the garden. When we became Christians, it's as if God gave us a complete makeover. We're given this glorious new way of life, but we still have a responsibility to partner with the Holy Spirit to walk this through in the world. We've got to actively deal with all the traces in our life and our lifestyle, any attitudes, any ways of life that don't stay in step with the Spirit and the will of God, those ones that are tough to get out, we need to keep going. Keep going. If you've got something that constantly tries to drag you back to the old way of life, keep going. And here's a helpful hint. Tell someone. Tell someone so they can hold you accountable. I've got three people in my life who I allow to speak into my life about absolutely anything, and they can challenge and ask whatever they like. And they will. They'll come up to me and say, Rich, what about this area of your life? And I will speak, and truthfully, because I trust them. And I'm so grateful for those men that do that in my life. Why? Because I want to walk right with Jesus. It matters so much. 
Maybe it's the area of telling the truth. Maybe it's deception. Maybe it's stealing. That's not really the important thing. The important thing is that you hear that God says, stop. But he also says, here's my spirit. I'm going to help you in this. We'll do this together. And I want to finish by saying this. This can all seem really heavy and this can all seem really overwhelming and it can seem like this Christian life is just going to be too much hard work. The easiest way for this not to be hard work is simply this. If you learn to delight in Jesus, these things become light, these burdens become much easier. Because you look at the one for whom you're living for. Learn to delight in Jesus in your worship, genuine, deep delight. And so, to close, I, I, you know, I will, Quincy, would we be able to just, could you just strum some chords for us as we respond? We don't need to sing a song, because I don't want us to go into autopilot, I know the words. I want us to actually think about what God's saying to us today. What's God saying to me today about these things? Because they are big things. But maybe you just want to stand with your hands out and say, Jesus, I delight in the fact that actually I used to struggle with that one, but by your grace, it's not really an issue anymore. Maybe you're going to stand there and delight and go, Jesus, I'm so grateful you've helped me and you've walked with me through that one. Maybe the Holy Spirit's putting his finger on something in your life and you know, I've got to put that right. Respond to what God's doing in this place. Feel free to come and speak to me if you want to or one of your friends here, maybe your group leader, something like that. But let's not leave this place going, well, that was a heavy word. Let's leave this place going, God wants more from my life and my testimony. Amen? So why don't you stand to your feet? This is between you and God. And we'll just enjoy him.